Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, we are going in to the breach. Joe Resinello, when you're having the conversation that we're about to have today, you know that you're going into the breach. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Let's jump right in today. We are very pleased and honored to be joined by Michael Hesseman. And we are going to dis be discussing his book out from Ignatius Press, The Pope and the Holocaust, Pius Twelfth and the Vatican Secret Archives. Joe, I think you know what I mean when I say we're going to go into the breach. There's a lot to, 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 to talk about here, and so much so that it's very difficult to do in an hour, but we are going to do our best. We promise you that. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Michael, Michael Hesseman studied history and cultural anthropology at the University of Göttingen, Germany. His 44 books have been published in 16 languages. He's participated in archaeological excavations in the Holy Land. He's helped to date a number of discoveries and relics, including in Nazareth. He's advised and appeared in programs for the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, and EWTN. He is the author of Mary of Nazareth. Nazareth, and co-author with Monsignor Georg Ratzinger of the international bestseller on Pope Benedict XVI, My Brother, the Pope, Michael Hesseman. Welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure and honor to be on your beautiful show. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Michael, we always begin our sh uh, show with a prayer to Our Lady in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, or for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O oh, Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Michael, as Joe said, I mean, I think uh, Eugene Pacelli really got a raw deal in history, um, and we want to explore why. Uh, sadly, in the public square, he's been labeled as Hitler's pope. This has gone on for quite some time. Um, what fueled this? I mean, we're going to try to break that down. Um, I think there's a lot of like layers to it, but in your view, what fueled this? Because it, it was, this is just a lie. I mean, first of all, no claim could be more absurd because Pius XII was even involved in the conspiracy to kill Adolf Hitler. So how can he be Hitler's Pope? We have documents from 1923 when Hitler just appeared on the public stage in Munich, when already Eugenio Pacelli, who was the nuncio in Germany at that time, warned everybody, the Vatican, warned that this is an anti-Christian, anti-Catholic movement. And he called it 
the most dangerous heresy of our times. National socialism, he called the most dangerous heresy of our times as early as 1925. 1923, he started warn warning. So how can he be Hitler's pope? Indeed, this is a big lie which has its origin in a propaganda campaign of the Soviet intelligence service, the KGB. And its background was to prevent the election of Montini as pope. You know, <clears throat> after the war, when communism was um, getting half of Eastern Europe and, and, and the Soviet Union um, persecuted the church in countries like Poland, like Hungary, all these beautiful Catholic countries, um, Pius XII was very uh, worried about the communist threat. And um, after, you know, Hitler Germany was defeated in World War II, um, communism became his main target of criticism and, and, and warnings. And so he had a, a strict anti-communist policy. And of course, this was the time of Stalin when, you know, this very uh, evil and dangerous dictator ruled the Soviet Union. When he passed away in 1958, a new pope was elected the 23rd. At that time, Stalin had already died and a new Soviet leader, Nikita Khrushchev, was elected. So Nikita Khrushchev um, was um, a, a politician of appeasement. And um, John XXIII reacted with a new Ostpolitik, a new Eastern Europe policy of the Vatican, a, a policy of dialogue. So the KGB quickly learned that John XXIII was a sick man. He had stomach cancer and he died after five years um, as successor of St. Peter in 1963. So the KGB knew that the most probable candidate for being the next Pope was Montini. Montini was the right hand of Pius XII. He was you know, completely doing everything for Pius XII as an undersecretary of the state of the Holy See during the war and afterwards. So and the KGB believed, they didn't know what um, but Montini, um, who later became elected as Pope and, and was Paul VI, um, was much more liberal than they believed. But still, you know, they believed he would continue the um, uh, policy of um, Pius XII regarding communism. And so they wanted to prevent his election by a defamation campaign targeted against Pius XII. And what could and discredit Pius XII more than a claim that he was silent facing the Holocaust, the murder of six million Jews. So indeed, this um, it was given um, in the hands of um, Rolf Hochhut, a German um, amateur um, dramaturgist who wrote um, a play called The Deputy, which originally was a, a, a horrible piece of bad art, eight hours long. And, uh, but they sent a, a very uh, gifted, unfortunately brilliant man from Moscow, Erwin Piscator, who was a director, a theater director, and, and a communist, of course, and he lived in Moscow before. 
and they sent him from Moscow to Berlin. They gave him a lot of money to buy a theater and, and to open a theater in Berlin. And this is where the deputy of Rolf Hochhut was performed the first time on stage, um, shortened to uh, two hours and sharpened in its language and, and um, in its criticism of Pius XII. So this is the original background of this defamation campaign. Later, both liberal Catholics and um, the left um, seen in general and the liberals, uh, counterculture in, in general, took over this claim because it was so convenient to discredit the Catholic Church. Um, Pastor XII was, of course, the last pope before the Second Vatican Council, and with him they could discredit the entire pre-conciliar church and uh, the conservative church, and um, generally a conservative worldview. For example, he was the last nobleman on the throne of St. Peter. He came from an old noble family where Pacellis were were even princes at some time. And um, so he was the target of every liberal. And we know how much the liberals manipulate the media and, and, and uh, we know the campaign against the Catholic Church in general, and especially its more conservative representatives. Michael Hesseman is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosenthal. Thank you for that, Michael. Thank you, because that's my view. Okay. Uh, before I get into that, uh, the book that Michael has written, The Pope and the Holocaust, Pius Twelfth and the Vatican Secret Archives, that's out from Ignatius Press. I've always said that. I don't understand why people don't understand. Pius Twelfth. it's documented. This is what I don't like is when propaganda triumphs over truth because people allow it to happen. Go search out the truth yourself. It's not hard to find. Pius Twelfth is responsible for saving the lives of hundreds of thousands of victims of the Nazis, particularly Jews in Italy, opening up the churches, doing it secretly, of course, because if you do it openly, you know what happens? People die. All right. The Nazis were ruthless. He could, there's so many times the church couldn't open its mouth in the face of the uh, of the Nazi regime because they, they were they would they would just start killing people. So the, the church had to now correct me on any of this, Michael, if I'm wrong. So the church had to be more shrewd. So so Pius XII saves hundreds of thousands of people. Okay, absolutely. And 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 somehow Rolf Hochhuth, <laughs> a, a German communist operative, is able to write this play. And people believe it, and they say that that go ask. Well, you can't. She's dead. But go ask Golda Meir. Go ask. Go ask Rabbi. We'll get into that. Go ask Rabbi Zoli, who converted to the Catholic Church and took the name Eugenio. How about the State of Israel declaring Pope Pius XII a righteous man? Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that they that Israel did declare Pius XII a righteous man. However, unfortunately, not yet. Yeah, what's unfortunately that? Unfortunately, not, not yet. But not yeah. yet. But 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 it it was widely acknowledged amongst the Jews that it, that the <laughs> actions of Pius the Twelfth saved hundreds of thousands of people from certain Absolutely. death. Okay, Absolutely. and and we allow the communists and their propaganda machine at this time, which admittedly is very strong, to, to again to override the truth. How does that happen, Michael? Pinchas Lapide. An Israeli diplomat was the first who documented in his book about the Pope and the Jews, but Pius XII saved at least 
800,000 Jews from the Holocaust. At the moment, we can document that he saved 960 to 970,000 Jews from the Holocaust. But the original number of 850,000 was from an Israeli diplomat who did the research on behalf of the Israeli government and then at Yad Vashem. So um, now we have a new book which is out just a couple of months ago. It came out by David Kertzer, The Pope at War. And I know Kertzer. The man was sitting five meters away from me in the Vatican Secret Archives. I, I passed his desk when I went to mine every time I got new documents. And so he had access to the very same documents I did. But he ignored everything which did not confirm his bias, but the Pope did nothing to help the Jews. He, in his book, he ignores all the evidence we have. He ignores every publication after the year 2000 about the subject. He ignores the research of, of brilliant people like uh, Andrea Tornelli in Italy, like um, Professor Napolitano in Italy, like... Um, Professor Rischlack in America, William Duini in America, the Paved the Way Foundation, a Jewish foundation which digged out hundreds of thousands of documents proving what and documenting what Pius XII did for the Jews and who was promoting the case of declaring Pius XII a writer among the nations at Yad Vashem right now. A Jewish organization in the USA with a brilliant Gary Krupp um, on top as president of, of this foundation. So. All this work by so many historians, including, of course, myself, is completely ignored, left out, or do I have to say censored or covered up by Professor Katzer in his completely misleading book, which well, is pages and pages about a meeting of Pius XII with a German diplomat, the Prince of Hesse, and, 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 and uh, trying to make some kind of proximity to the Nazi regime out of meeting a diplomat in preparation of a meeting of the Secretary of State just to uh, take care about the situation of the Catholic Church in Germany and, and trying to improve the situation of the Catholic Church in Germany, but ignoring the well-documented fact, which is documented by British intelligence documents, by, by Vatican documents, by German documents, even the Nazis learned about it in November 1944, and Kaltenbrunner of the Gestapo, the head of the Gestapo, wrote a report about it on Hitler, but the Pope became a member of the conspiracy, which at the end tried to kill Hitler. You know, right. Vicuria, Operation Vicuria is a beautiful yeah. movie, which is completely true based on historical facts. But this conspiracy did not start with Stauffenberg, but it ended with Stauffenberg. It started in 1939. And these generals and high-ranking officers of um, the German Wehrmacht, they knew Hitler was a criminal. And to save the German name and honor and the honor of the German military, the German army, they said, we have to get rid of this evil man who will discredit Germany forever. So they had a plan of a coup d'etat, even of an assassination of Hitler, and they presented it to the Pope in October 1939 because they needed someone who guarantees for their integrity if they start to negotiate with the British and the French. So, but the British and the French don't think this is another you know, propaganda trick by Hitler but no, it is something serious. So they contacted the Pope, and after one night of prayer in October 1939, he agreed to cooperate with this conspiracy and to be 
its spokesman to the French and the British and later the Americans. So unfortunately, it took five years and then it failed in this attempt to kill Hitler. But still, it shows. I mean, imagine a pope being part of a conspiracy to kill um, the head of a country. This didn't happen since the Middle Ages. This is something no, unique. In modern history. This well, Michael Hesseman, Michael Hesseman, it doesn't sound like he was acting too much like Hitler's Pope to me. And, and, and that's why that's why you're on the show. That's why you're on the front line with Joe and Joe, because like I said, in our own way, we, you know, Joe and I want to dispel lies and slander and calumny. All right. And the way they, they talk about this saintly man. OK. Um, and we'll get into a little bit more about some of the machinations going on in Europe. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We're having a great conversation, an important conversation with Michael Hesseman discussing his new book, The Pope and the Holocaust, Pius XII and the Vatican Secret Archives. That's Alfred Ignatius, Joe Racinello. Michael, you mentioned that he was a very noble man, and I, I, I assume that his family had a lot of money. Didn't he spend his own money to save the Jews? I, I did read that. Yes, he did. He sent a huge amount of money, one million lei, to Romania because the, he um, negotiated a deal with the, um, uh, with the president of Romania, um, UNESCO at that time, to but the Romanian Jews were not sent over to the Germans, but get deported into an area of Romania, which is today Moldavia. And this was a poor region, of course. And to make sure that the Jews in this poor region get a proper housing and get proper food and proper hygienic situations, he sent one million Romanian lay to Bucharest. Um, and actually, it all functioned. Romania did not send any more Jews to the German Nazi concentration camps, which were killing camps, as we all know. But the Romanian Jews remained in Romania. And many of them were even, even the children, thousands of children were sent to Turkey and from Turkey to the Holy Land, to Israel, which was British Palestine at that time, to, you know, even, even start the Jewish state there. Um, this was the help of the apostolic delegate in Constantinople, Ron Kali, who later became John the 23rd, and who testified about all this and said everything we did, we didn't do out of our own initiative, but because we followed the order of the Pope to save as many human lives as possible. Something similar happened in Bulgaria. Bulgaria had about 80,000 Jews, a Jewish community, and the Germans demanded the Bulgarians, who were allies of Nazi Germany, to send them over to the work camps in occupied Poland, what means to the death camps, to Auschwitz. And the Vatican intervened, both the nuncio, who was the confessor of the Queen of Bulgaria, and the um, apostolic delegate of Constantinople, Ron Kali, who was the godfather of the crown prince of Bulgaria, both nuncios intervened and managed to convince the king to stop any deportations to Germany and to leave the 80,000 um, Bulgarian Jews unharmed in the country. So we had, you know, just two examples now. And the, the intervention of Paris XII saved hundreds of thousands of Jews, or like in Hungary. In Hungary, they had a Jewish community of 850,000, the biggest one in, in Western Europe. And um, first of all, when the deportation started in spring of 1944, the Vatican tried to stop it through the nuncio. 
but the Nuncio did not succeed. And, you know, nearly 400,000 Jews were sent to Auschwitz and eventually killed. But since the Pope learned, but all interventions didn't work, he personally contacted the head of state, which um, um, was someone he knew from the Eucharistic World Congress in 1939. He knew him personally. Horty was his name, Niklas Horty. And he sent a telegraph to Horty and said, please stop um, deporting the Jews. And, and Horty asked it why. And he got the information from the Nuncio because they are killed in Germany. They are not working in the work camps. They are killed. And so he immediately ordered to stop the deportations. Even a train which was on the Hungarian-German border. At that time, Austria was a part of Germany, so it was the Hungarian-German border, um, was sent back to Budapest. And the Jews were all released because Horty realized what was going on and stopped it. So just, you know, some examples here again, 400 to 500,000 um, 400, 400, um, Romanian Jews were saved by the direct papal intervention. So if you ask how we get the high numbers of 960 to 970,000 Jews, this is how, because he stopped deportations of Jews who were sent, who were requested from the Nazis as part of the end lösung, the final solution of the Jewish problem, as they called the Holocaust, the Shoah. They stopped it. They stopped this participation of Hitler's allies, and they stopped the deportations of Jews into the death camps. Michael Hesseman is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're talking about Pius Twelfth and the Holocaust. Um, he has a new book out from Ignatius Press. Let me ask you this. Um, See, the, the, the atheists, particularly the more virulent stripe that we've experienced in the last 20 years, okay? We all know who we're talking about, Sam Harris, uh, Christopher Hitchens when he was alive. They can't allow that the church ever did anything good in its entire history, all right? Not even, even if you go back to the things that the church did in the Middle Ages and how the church, the contributions to Western civilization, okay? Um, and, 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 so what they want to try to do when they attack the church, one of their main focal points, which is a pure, pure, pure lie, is that is that the church gave rise to Hitler. OK, and they usually point to the Concordat that was signed in 1933. OK, and I've never heard so much bunk in my life when he was alive. Hitchens used to try to peddle that line and Sam Harris does the same thing. Just go through that for our audience for a few minutes, Michael, talking about the Concordat, what it was and how it absolutely did not give rise to, to, to the Nazi regime. First of all, the Nazi regime was already in power when the Nazi regime tried and Hitler's party tried to get in power between 1929 and 1933. We had five open public condemnations of the Nazi ideology by the Catholic Church in Germany, including the excommunication of all members of the Nazi party by several German bishops, supported by the Osservatore Romano, by the Vatican, by the Secretary of State, who was Eugenio Pacelli at that time. He became, after he was Nuncio in Germany, he became the new Secretary of State of Pius XI in 1930 in the time in question. So members of the Nazi party did not receive Holy Communion, did not get a Christian funeral, did not, were not able to marry in a church at that time between 1929 and 1933. That's a fact. So how can you say the Catholic Church 
help the Nazi regime to, to get in power if the Catholic Church made it very clear to all the faithful, if you join the Nazi party, you are ipso facto excommunicated, you don't get Holy Communion, don't get a funeral, can't marry in the church. That's the fact. Now, of course, they signed the Concordate because a Concordate is not a friendship treaty. It is not, we love you, and that's why we sign a Concordate. It's the opposite, okay? It's, um, it's the opposite. A Concordate has the purpose to save the interest of a church in a hostile situation. And well, the, the Vatican and the Nuncio Pacelli, since 1925, tried to negotiate a Concordate with the Weimar Republic. And when Hitler came in power, and Hitler, uh, because he wanted to calm down the Catholic Church, to continue his policy. He didn't want the opposition from the very beginning. So he said, well, I'm willing to sign the Concordate if the Catholic Church is not openly opposing me anymore. Of course, the church opposed him very openly in 1937, for example, with the encyclical Mitbrennen der Sorge, which actually was a project by Pacelli. He flew in the free most um, open critics of Hitler among the German bishops, the biggest enemies of Hitler among the German bishops, Faulhaber, Freising, and Galen, and to Rome, and they wrote a draft, and the draft was not sharp enough, was, was not um, aggressive enough against Hitler, so Pius XII sharpened the tone. Originally, it was called with great concern, and he made it with burning concern, which, of course, is a stronger language. Just to give you one example, we have all the corrections and improvements by Pacelli in the Vatican archives. So, but anyway, this was after violations of the Concordate by Hitler. Hitler violated the Concordate. But to, to sign a Concordate, how, how does it mean that you support the regime? They negotiated the Concordate with the Soviet Union. They didn't get it signed, but they negotiated. And um, Pius XI, after the Concordate with German, Nazi Germany was signed, he said, I would have even signed a Concordate with the devil himself if it would be necessary to save souls. And this is exactly what happened. They needed a, a legal fundament to save the Catholic Church in Germany. Because if Hitler would have declared the Catholic Church in Germany a public enemy, like he declared uh, the, the Socialist, Social Democratic Party, the Communist Party, the, um, the Jews, the Jewish community, and so on, public enemies, even, even the Catholic Party, the Zentrums Party, public enemies, so it means the leader were put into the concentration camp and all activities were forbidden. So the church in Germany had only one option, either to sign a concordate and to continue to take care for the souls and to, to, to be available for the faithful or face a direct open persecution from the very beginning. And, you know, even, even this is the same problem we have right now with China, okay? And Pope Francis is criticized a lot because he, he now even renews the agreement um, over China because um, well, the result is a state-controlled Catholic Church in, Chi in, in China, which was not the case in Germany. The Catholic Church in Germany under Hitler was free. And, and still, there's a justification to do it, because um, if a church is available to all the faithful, it can do so much good. 
And if it is just in the underground, it can't. If it is persecuted, if it is destroyed, it can't. And of course, the main purpose of the church is spiritual and not political. So, and people say, well, you know, he helped to get the Nazi regime accepted in the world by signing a treaty, by allowing it to sign a treaty. No, even before the French, the Americans, the British, the Brazilians all signed trade agree agreements with Nazi Germany. And even the international Jewish community, the Jewish settlers in Palestine, they signed the Havara agreement, which allowed the transfer of goods from British Palestine from the Jewish kibbutzes, from the Jewish farms to Germany. So if even the Jewish community or for the Nazi regime was very anti-Semite from the very beginning, also on the 1st of April of 1933, we had a raid on Jewish shops and campaigned Jews out, Jews out, and Germans don't buy from the Jews. And still the Jewish community signed the Havara Agreement. So Michael, what let's leave it. Catholic Church doing it? Michael, let's leave it there one second. We do have to take a break. We are on radio. We're at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Rossinello, very pleased and honored to be joined by Michael Hesseman. And we're discussing a topic that's dear to our hearts, which is the Pope and the Holocaust, Pius XII and the Vatican Secret Archives. That is Michael's new book out at Ignatius Press. We have another great segment with Michael Hesseman, so stick around. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, joined by Michael Hesseman. We are discussing his new book, The Pope and the Holocaust, Pius XII and the Vatican Secret Archives. Let's jump right back in. Joe Racinello. Michael, I want to uh, go back to the Concordat, because I think this is a point of contention where people use this, and I think you were illustrating that very well. I think, and, and say i'm going to play devil's advocate here because i think this is what people have said and done and i i think it's important to address it people say the church did that out of self-preservation now you were basically saying the church did that to save souls and to save lives thinking they could do more by signing that agreement than if they did not i think we have to address that directly because that is where i think people use that as leverage against the church they're just trying to save their skin and he wasn't vocal enough i think that is what a lot of people have said your response to that claim well as i say in the very moment when the nazi regime showed its evil face uh, very clearly in 1937 an encyclical was written against it, the most outspoken encyclical against any regime in the 20th century, Mit Brennender Sorge, which was so harsh and, and so dangerous as a project, but it was smuggled into Germany. It was um, printed out in Catholic printing houses and smuggled by boys back of, of the Catholic youth in bicycles brought to the parish churches given to the parish priest in the confessional. The parish priest locked it in the tabernacle 
And then on Palm Sunday of 1937, it was taken out and read all, all over the Reich. And when Hitler learned about it, he, he got mad. He got mad with the Catholic Church <clears throat> and he, he you know, threatened to, to, to destroy it and to, to end the Concordate. But at the end, he was calmed down by people like Goebbels who said we need to keep the Germans calm for the war. We can't have a division of Germany and we can't completely um, alienate um, the Catholics in Germany because we need Catholic soldiers. 50% of the population in Germany was Catholic at that time. <clears throat> so don't do that. But uh, so the Catholic Church was not silent at all. Um, even before they condemned, for example, um, the, the main, let me say, the, the catechism of Nazi ideology, um, the book by Rosenberg, it was put on the index of the forbidden books because it represented this evil racist ideology. And in so many homilies, um, Pacelli, when he traveled all over Europe, like in Hungary, like in France and everywhere else, um, he spoke out in public against the Nazi, Nazi regime. So once again, first of all, the Concordate was negotiated by the Prussian state. Hitler was just in power. Hitler offered um, to sign what the Catholic Church wanted to be signed for a long time without um, too many changes or without any changes, actually. And so it would just have been stupid not to, to get it signed because it would mean to, to uh, finish um, uh, 1,300 years of, 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 of uh, the history of Catholic Church in Germany for, for actually nothing. An infrastructure like the church, which both could serve the faithful and give them access to the sacraments, and second, to help those persecuted by the Nazi regime was needed. And we are talking about the souls of the faithful. If there's no church, there are no sacraments, and you don't have access to the means of our salvation. So from a spiritual point of view, um, it was exactly the right thing. And, and, and um, any capitulation and any uh, hiding in the, in the underground would have been completely counterproductive and, and would, would mean to betray the faithful from what we needed most what is the comfort of the church, which is the consolation of the church. Michael Hesseman, one thing that you, you said there that, that, that comes to mind, and I'm thinking, because I know that, I know that those who would attack Pius XII would probably say, well, he should have been more concerned with people's lives and people's souls. But based on what you just said, which I have no doubt is the truth, okay, the church did both. The church did both absolutely, in this absolutely. very difficult time. The care of souls and, and, and saving people's lives, the church did both. They did both, absolutely. And look, I mean, we were thinking, for, for example, for a whole generation. You're talking about a whole generation. The question was, if the youth in Germany, the young generation in Germany, would have been delivered completely to the Hitler youth and the Nazi propaganda, or if we can get in the Catholic Church, in the Catholic youth organizations, and get the teachings of the church. And I mean, should, should you leave a whole generation to the Nazi propaganda, to an evil anti-Christian propaganda, or do you, do you take the possibility 
to work against this propaganda by, by teaching the teachings of the church, the moral of the church to this young generation and make sure they don't become Nazis, but stay Catholics in their heart. And I mean, this is about losing a generation. Right. It is about losing a generation. But as you completely correctly said, the Catholic Church did everything to save as many human lives as possible. Already in 1939, in January 1939, what means two months after the Kristallnacht, the pogrom night, um, Secretary of State Pacelli tried to get visa for every German Jew. At that time, there were 230,000 Jews in Germany, and we have the documents from the Vatican archives. But he sent letters to all Catholic archbishops and all Catholic nuncios in the free world and say we need 200,000 visa for the German Jews to get them out of the country of persecution. The bad thing is that the countries did not react. Altogether, he got about 40,000 visa over the following years. Um, it, it was even a big thing when Brazil offered 3,000 visa for 200,000, 230,000 persecuted Jews. And at the end, only issued 2,000 of it. Right. But again, he tried everything. He saw the situation after the pogrom night. I mean, you know, the situation in Germany between um, the second half of 1933 and um, 1938 calmed down a little bit. You know, I had a, a wonderful Jewish friend who, uh, who came from a Jewish family, at least, who, for example, came from a very rich Jewish banking family uh, in Hanover, Germany. And he was taken out of the country and sent to France in January, uh, in February 1933, because Hitler came in power and they were afraid for his life. And then two years later, he, he was returned to Germany and went to school in Berlin even, because they said, oh, come on, the Jews are safe in Germany. And then came the um, 9th of November of 1939, um, the night of the broken glass, as they call it in Germany, Kristallnacht, um, the big pogrom night when all the synagogues um, were burned down in Germany. And it was the beginning, practically, <coughs> of, of the persecution of the Jews in Germany. And here, the Vatican reacted. Three weeks later, Pacelli wrote to the nuncios the first letter, and then on, on the 9th of January 1939, to all Catholic archbishops to request 200,000 visa. My God, I mean, what can you do more? At that time, Hitler did not extend his Reich to, to Austria, Czechoslovakia, Poland, but at that time, it was only Germany. It was even before we... Um, no, Austria was already over. Mm -hmm. But anyway, anyway, and what can you do more than evacuate every German Jew? And you know, keep one thing in mind, at that time, until 1941, Jews were allowed to leave the country, but without their money, without any uh, of their belongings. So um, it's not enough to get a visa, but you have to pay the transfer. You have to pay um, the trip to South America, for example, uh, on a boat and so on. So this is what the Vatican was willing to do. The Vatican mm -hmm. organized, for the 40,000 Jews who got, who got visa, organized 
But the, the, the transfer through countries like Spain and Portugal, Lisbon was the main harbor to especially South America, but they could leave the country. They financed everything because mm -hmm. the Jews were not allowed to take their own money. And I mean, who did it? Who did it at that time? Nobody else in the world. Um, you know, we are celebrating people like Schindler who were wonderful in saving 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust. Wonderful and God bless his heart. But I mean, here we have the Vatican. Here we have Pius XII who saved 960 to 70,000 Jews. And the world calls him Hitler's Pope. Come on. Well, that's what, and one Schindler, thing I like that you pointed Hitler out. Was part, the, yeah. Yeah, Schindler was partying with the Nazis. No, no, that's right. Food. And here we no, have no, no, exactly, exactly, Michael Hessman, exactly. And here's the other thing. I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rossinello. Uh, here's the other thing to point out. Why were the Jews still in Eastern Europe? Why were they still in Germany? Because the West turned them away. Like, how come that? How does that get overlooked? In other words, like you want to blast, you want to blast the Pope, you want to blast the Catholic Church. Well, what about America? What about England? What about France? What about all the countries that turned them away? All right, maybe, maybe there wouldn't have been as many Jews in Germany had maybe we'd been a little bit more accepting in the West, but that didn't happen, did it? You're so absolutely right. There was a whole ship, the St. Louis, a ship going from Germany to America full of Jews, and nobody allowed them to leave the ship. They were sent back to Europe where the trains to Auschwitz were literally already waiting for them. This is the truth. They were turned down, they were sent back. Well, that's why you're on the show, Michael Hesseman, because we yeah, have to speak yeah. the truth about these things yeah, here at the yeah, front line yeah. with Joe and Joe. Michael Hesseman is joining us here, and we're, we're having a great conversation. Joe and I think it's an important conversation. The Pope and the Holocaust, Pius XII and the Vatican Secret Archives. Michael Hesseman thinks it's an important topic because he wrote the book on it, okay? And that's available at Ignatius Press. Uh, Joe Racinello, uh, where do you want to go? Well, Michael, you mentioned uh, the Vatican uh, Apostolic Archive. It recently opened up, sure. and things are starting to change. You, you mentioned in the first segment about sure, people's sure. views. Why sure. was that shut down for so long? Because people could say that. Clearly, you discovered so many things there. Why was that shut down for so long? And now that it's open, eyes are opening. Talk to that. First of all, there's a rule in archives all over the world to keep um, them shut for 70, 80, sometimes even 100 years to protect um, the, uh, let me say, the secrets of people who are already alive, okay? The private sphere of people who are, already, who are still alive. For example, you know, I, I found letters in the Vatican secret archives of very famous German personalities, I don't want to give the names, who were writing, for example, to Pius XI after the encyclical, Holy Father, how can you talk so bad about the Führer? The Führer, Adolf Hitler, was sent to us by God, and you talk bad about him, you discredit him, don't do it because then you are acting against God. And if somebody writes such a stupid letter and he would still be alive, it would destroy his career if I, I would publish it. It would destroy his life just because maybe as a young man he was misled or stupid and maybe he, he um, 
and regretted it a hundred thousand times already. So, but generally, to protect private information, archives are closed for a certain period of time. It's in the national archives in Washington, it's in the British archives, it's in the Vatican archives, the Italian, the German archives. Every word is the same. Every word is the same. That's number one. Number two, after the deputy, the Hochhut play was out, Paul VI gave order to publish the most important documents on Pius XII and the Holy See during the Holocaust and World War II. Acts and documents of the Holy See during World War II became an 11-volume book of 7,600 pages, publishing around 10,000 documents in it, edited by four brilliant Jesuit historians, Jesuit scholars. So, the most important documents, and I now where I have access to everything I can confirm, the most important documents were already published in those 11 volumes by the Holy See. So um, we, we really can't um, blame the Vatican of, of, of covering up um, any, anything seriously, but they made it available much, much earlier um, to give the evidence for what really happened. But these 11 volumes were completely ignored. Kerzer, for example, you know, he, he is ignoring everything which has to do with the Holocaust, which is already published in these 11 volumes, which came um, out between 1964 and 1983. I think 1983, the last volume was published. So he had a lot of time to read it, but he didn't. He had a lot of time to see what really happened, but he didn't care, because don't bother me with the facts, I already made up my mind. This is the motto of the bankers of Pius XII. Well, that, well that's, that's no way to do history, Michael Hasselman, and you and I and Joe, we all know that. You're, just, you're not doing history then, then you're just peddling a narrative. Um, and you want to know what peddling narratives? Well, that's easy to do. Michael Michael Hesseman doesn't peddle a narrative. He's exploring the facts. He went into the archives and he wrote the book, The Pope and the Holocaust, Pius Twelfth and the Vatican Secret Archives. You could find that at Ignatius Press. We would encourage you to go and buy it. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, in the time we have remaining. Let's uh, at least hit one topic that I want to get on, which is which is Nazism itself. Okay, um, in his first encyclical as Pope on the unity of human society. Uh, the uh, the Pope called on all people of goodwill to oppose two pernicious errors, racism and statism. And what he bluntly stated was that the Nazis, quote, abandoned Christ's cross for another which uh, which brings only death, close quote. So I'm assuming you give up the cross for the swastika, okay? Talk about racism and statism, why that was condemned so, so, so forcefully by Pius XII. Because racism is completely opposed to the Catholic worldview. For, for us as Catholics, all humans are descendants of Adam and Eve and created by God. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter if, if we are black or white or whatever, but we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. So every um, uh, idea that one race is superior to the other um, is in opposite to what is taught by the Holy Scripture, what is taught by our Lord, and what is taught by the Church. And so already in Pius XI drafted an encyclical about the unity of the human race, which was 
course, the main topic of his um, encyclical, Mit Brennender Sorge. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away before it was completed. And then the most important elements were uh, taken over by Pius XII for his very first encyclical. And uh, which came out in October 1939, which um, again was a very open attack against the Nazi ideology and made it clear for everyone that Nazism, which is both nationalism and racism, um, is, is not in, 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 in accordance with the Catholic doctrine. And that indeed all members of the human race are, are equal in the face of God. Thank you for that, Michael Hesseman. Um, so with that, uh, Joe, in the time remaining, where do you want to go? I think a good way to conclude the conversation, Michael, is we see a lot of fake news out there. Sadly, people aren't interested in facts. I mean, I'll be truthful with you. You laid out a lot of facts, and, and, and people should listen, and people should buy your book. Um, how do we combat this tribal thinking that's going on? I mean, I'm sure you're very attuned to what's happening in America, and I'm sure it's going on in Europe right now as well with a lot of the great reset conversations and these global globalistic ideas that are plaguing people, plaguing them. How do we combat this type of thinking? Indeed, by a clear confession of our Catholic faith, and that's the only way. And we have to speak out the truth. We have to fight against the kingdom of lies, which is built up by the enemies of the church and the enemies of uh, human freedom. Because what is the church others than the guarantee of human freedom, freedom in Christ? This was the topic of the beautiful speech given by John Paul II when he crossed the Brandenburg Gate in 1996 on his visit to Germany. But the end of all totalitarian regimes comes through the freedom in Christ. And Christ is our great liberator. And so a clear confession to Christ and at the same time, um, a clear correction of all the fake news is necessary. You know, if you take my book, I have more than a thousand footnotes in the book. So every claim I make can be checked. We have the documents, they are published, they are available. Every claim I, I make can be checked by anybody who takes the time to do so. And actually, you know, I received lots of reviews on my, on my book and nobody could find any, any serious mistake because it's all documented. But we shouldn't allow the kingdom of lies, which is a manifestation of the culture of death, to use uh, the term by John Paul II, to, to um, put us down and to take over the control in the media. So free Catholic media like yours, beautiful station, are important, are necessary to, to uh, tell the truth when the major mainstream media um, create all this fake news. Who wrote the book, uh, Michael Hesseman? Who wrote the book, um, Hitler's Pope? Um, I think that came out in the 90s. Um, John Cornwell, a British, a British historian, so-called historian, I have to say, because if you spend only three days in the Vatican archives for the investigation of a book, you're not really a serious historian. But um, 
um, even you know one time he met Father Kumpel, uh, we, unfortunately who passed away on um, the 12th of November, the great, great expert, international leading expert on, on Pastor the 12th and the um, relator and the uh, beatification process of Pastor the 12th. And, and Gumpel received him, Father Gumpel received him and, and gave him access to, to a whole office full of documents. And after, you know, half an hour, um, Cornwall walked out and said, okay, thank you, I saw what I wanted to see, and Kumpel was very surprised because, you know, even to look at all these documents, you need a couple of days, and he was welcome to come all the following days, but it turned out that he doesn't read German, he doesn't read Italian, he couldn't read all these documents, and he, he could only read very few English documents, which, you know, makes it very difficult for a historian to work if you can't read documents, if you don't know the languages, uh, what, what can you do, you know, you only get a very, very limited um, uh, amount of information. And Cornwall had an agenda. He was a liberal Catholic who was against the Roman centralism of John Paul II. And he wanted to present Pius XII as a case for the failure of Roman centralism in a situation of crisis like the Holocaust. But indeed, and the, the truth is that what happened during the Holocaust was the best argument in favor of Roman centralism because who coordinated this Europe-wide campaign and even worldwide campaign to save 960 to 70,000 Jews, it was the Pope. The Pope was the central figure. This is why Paul XII had to be very careful and not uh, you know, uh, speaking out too openly, because Hitler already gave order that if Pope Paul's protest against the persecution of the Jews, he would take over the Vatican, march into the Vatican, and arrest Pius XII and bring him to Germany or even kill him. He had these orders. And he knew about it. Pius XII knew about it because he had contact to, to the German general staff and Admiral Canaris of the uh, military intelligence in Germany, and they all informed him about this order by Hitler. So without the Pope, all this would have not been coordinated and couldn't have happened because most Jews were saved by diplomatic interventions from the Holy See, through the nunciatures, and directly from the Vatican. And so we have the best evidence that Roman centralism worked very well, worked very well, and was, was vital, was vital in this campaign to save uh, Jews from the Holocaust. So one quick, yeah, sure. Yeah, we only have a couple minutes left, Michael Hesseman. Um, I just want you to take just a couple minutes and just to let our audience know you, you're we're talking about obviously saving Jews from the Holocaust. What was the reaction of some more prominent Jews immediately after Pius XII's death that you could let our audience know about? You know, this is the very strange thing. After the war, the whole Jewish community praised Pius XII for what he did. We have so many letters and, and, and open declarations from both the chief rabbi of Palestine, Rabbi Herzog, from people who be became later high-ranking politicians like Moshe Sharad, like Golda Meir in the state of Israel, who all praised Pius XII, the president of the Jewish 
International Jewish Association and so on, for what he did. The chief rabbi of Rome, Israel Zoli, even converted to Catholicism after he experienced what the Pope did to save the Roman Jews. And indeed, through the papal initiative, 80% of the Roman Jews were saved from the Holocaust. And um, in no other country in Europe, so many Jews were saved from the Holocaust as in Italy. Why? Because the Catholic Church and the Pope were strongest in Italy and, you know, had the most direct ways of communication and including secret personal communication because you could, you know, just drive over and, and give a, deliver a message. And um, so even in 10 years later, after the war in 1955, the State of Israel sent the Israel Symphonic Orchestra to the Vatican to play Beethoven for the Pope to thank him for what he did for the Jewish community during the years of the Holocaust. So when he passed away, Golda Meir and everybody praised him. Only after Hochhut it changed, but before Hochhut, before 1963, it was clear that Pius XII was the greatest friend the Jewish community had during the Holocaust and the one who did most when everybody else was silent. I I'm mean, glad you. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, Michael. Let's only because we're coming coming up on the end. Where can our audience both buy the book, um, and where can they fo maybe follow you if you have any social media or anything like that? Well, first of all, I am on Facebook. I am. I have my homepage. I'm virtually mainly in German, but there are some English articles. If you look for Pastor Twelve, for example, a speech I gave at the United Nations on invitation of the um, representative of the Holy See at the United Nations in English with all footnotes and everything. So the book you can buy just everywhere and every good bookshop and every good Catholic bookshop via Amazon, whatever. It was published by Ignatius Press. And the Pope and the Holocaust, Michael Hesseman, you find everywhere. And I think it will open your eyes. And uh, I think this book is really the, the, the final evidence against all those lies and defamations of a great and saintly Pope. And that's what we do here, Michael Hesseman. We have people like you on to spread the truth out there in the face of all these lies. It was an honor, our friend, to have you on the show. You're welcome back at the front line with Joe. Always Joe, welcome. Anytime. anytime. So thank you the so much. The honor was mine, and God bless you, and God bless you for your beautiful show, and God bless America. Thank you very much, Michael Hesseman, joining us here. Thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, and share it with your friends if you like our content, which we're sure you do. Um, and if you like what Joe and I do, then you can follow us uh, primarily at the front line with Joe and Joe, the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube. But we're all over social media, so wherever you find us, please help us out with a like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell, and all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.